This is the future of finance by Motive Labs. Hello, welcome to the future of finance, the Motive Labs podcast where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. Welcome back. It's Paul Papadimitriou for Motive, and I'm joined today with uh, Sonal and Peter. Hi, guys. How are you? Hi, Paul. How are you? Very well. Thank you. You? Very, very good. Can you let us know what is Exit Technology? Absolutely. So Exit Technology is a data privacy company. What we do is we ensure that the right people see the right data in the right location at the right time, and we apply rules around that data to provide proof of who's looked at data or attempted to look at data. And we enable you to make data privacy easier. And if I'm not mistaken, Sonal, you're the CTO, and you, Peter, you're the CEO, and you're both co-founders. We are co-founders, that's correct. Can you maybe let the listeners know how you met and how this ID blossomed? Yeah, absolutely. The way we met was actually at our previous job. So we worked together for six, seven years. So he was my boss. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He was uh, the boss of a lot of people there, actually. (laughs) And then what we did is as we were working closer together and we became involved in solving problems, we came from a large bank. I spent 29 years in banking. So I'm the business side of this, while Sunil is the IT side. And we realized a lot of the problems that we dealt with are the same problems that all banks deal with. So when it comes to data protection and data privacy, it's a problem across the entire industry. And we decided that the industry would be better off having a centralized utility or a centralized way of protecting data and ensuring that it is done in the right way. And so you can share it across as well. So we're in a data economy and how do we actually share data and make it more liberal, but at the same time have the full protection, make sure the consumer's at the heart of it. And that's where we come in and we want to enable that journey. How long have you been doing that now? Well, that's an interesting question. So we started the concept of this three years ago, but we spent a lot of time actually developing the product, but we've only really gone to launch with the product. How long has it been now, Sonal? Probably since October, November time, and we're constantly refining it as we're going through a lot of POCs at the moment. And as we're working with clients, we are partnering with them to come up with solutions that work for them, as well as using our core engine to propel and enable them to be able to do the things that they want to do with data. Yeah, it's interesting you just mentioned data. And obviously, we all talk about data, data, data all the time. It's almost a buzzword, right? But we also know that the financial industry knows that data is a goldmine. And when we talk about data, obviously, especially in the past 12 months, a lot of it has had to do with data protection and data privacy, both on the side of the financial institutions, but also the customer side. How do you deal with that? It's a tough one. So from a technical perspective, the way that banks have historically been set up is that each application works in its silo. It's got its own IT team. So when you're looking at things like data protection, data privacy, that's also siloed. It's done in a very individual way. So when you're looking at it from a not just a data privacy protection in your live environment, even in your testing environments, it's all done completely different. So you're unable to trace customers through different applications. You're unable to recognize when customers are the same, if it's their data. Just being able to do reconciliation is it's really difficult to do. It's a skipped thing. For me, I had a team of 70 developers. 
like to get them to focus on things like data privacy because it makes the life a little bit more difficult. It's easier to get my children to eat their vegetables. It's absolutely like a monstrosity of a task to like push them to think about these things from the outset. Is data privacy, data protection, something that is easy to sell now to your clients? Is that something they want? That's that's a really good point, Paul. The data protection, data privacy is something that consumers demand. So while banks want it, they will want it because consumers want it. So if you think of some of the different ways you can look at data privacy, where data privacy manifests itself is when you have bits of personal information and bits of private information, and you can start to marry those pieces of data across and learn a lot of things about Paul. So if you think about it, as we start having smart cities and IoT, that's a big thing that people are talking about. Once you have smart cities and IoT, say you now have information hooked up to your car. So you're going to go into the petrol station and you're going to buy petrol and they're going to track because it's automatically paid through a credit card linked to your car. Or they're going to know based upon your onboard computer in your car that you're speeding on the motorway. Now, what if that information gets back to your insurance company and they drop your insurance? Or even more, say they're tracking the location of your car through GPS. Again, these are types of data privacy issues. And they find that you're going three times a week and parking in the driveway of a house that's not your house. What do they infer about what activity that you're doing whilst you're on those journeys? And that is why data privacy is so important and so interesting to consumers because they want that level of protection. They don't want Big Brother to know everything about them. And by using the X8 solution, it allows the customers to have that level of protection. Is that how you pitch basically your clients, that they will reassure their own customers? Absolutely. I mean, banking, let's face it, it's a trust business, right? Banks have to be trusted with data and clients expect banks to protect their data. It's one of the last bastions of trust. So if the bank can offer that level of trust to customers and invest in that trust, then they're going to retain those customers and they're going to retain that revenue stream. And when other banks fail to protect client data, the banks who do it well will pick up that additional business and that additional revenue. Sona, you just mentioned you were making the lives of your developers so difficult by talking about data privacy. And just listening to Peter, is that also an argument? How do you try to make them eat their vegetables now, your developers? Just think of X8 as the sugar on top of it. That makes it (laughs) really nice and really easy to do. And it's like the most delicious thing in the world. What we've done is we look at data privacy and we've abstracted all of the complexity away from it. Should you be using anonymization? Should you be using encryption? You have all these like good words around it, like symmetric encryption, public-private key encryption, end-to-end encryption. What do you use? So we've abstracted all of that away. We have followed like the Apple model where we've got few types of calls that you need to do via an API and all of the complexity is taken away from you and all you're doing is you pass in your data set and it returns it back with whether or not you can see data or not. I know that the last year your company won Innovates Finance Pitch 360 competition, which is quite an achievement, actually. Could you tell us a little bit more about milestones that have happened in the last 12 months? Yeah, I'm happy to. So winning the Pitch 360 was a great event for us, mainly from the reason, back to your previous question, it shows how important data privacy is. For a data privacy company to win Pitch 360, it really shows how much people care about this topic. And it enables us to have a platform for the education. So there's a lot of education that has to go on. I mean, Sonal was just saying the different words and the different ways that you look at protecting data. We're trying to simplify those and educate people as to how they work. Um, As far as milestones go, we're proud to say that we've now graduated from the Accenture program, which was an absolutely fantastic three-month program where we had the ability to work 
with over 40 different banks to reshape our product, reshape our messaging, all the way down to the fact that we branded with a new logo and a new way of presenting ourselves. So by working with the 40 banks and with Accenture, it has really helped us as a firm, and it's been a major milestone for us to achieve new levels of growth. The other key milestone was, when do you leave your corporate career and go full time? <laughs> That's our specific part of the journey. You know, it's taking that big leap from your, your safety net, you've got your, your income coming in. So for us, we also had our own story to tell on that. I've went part-time, did a lot of consultancy work, and then decided to go full-time on it when we had gone through all the validation and actually spoke to hundreds of banks and hundreds of people around what are the key issues that they're facing and how do we create this utility that works for all. I think the, the key things that we saw were being able to share across multiple industries and different corporations, have a centralized way to be able to manage rules, even like the way that we saw how data privacy, where you can share data across multiple jurisdictions, that's something that's held in a spreadsheet. God knows if you've got the right version of it, you know, those sort of things that are just... How do you make life easier around something so complex? I'm going to jump on that. Something you, Peter, just mentioned. How do you make something so complex easy? And you said you were able to reshape the messaging. You know, privacy and data privacy in particular, it's not always easy to understand. It's I mean, you, we all have these kind of like, oh, yeah, I can understand that something mm -hmm. bad could happen to my... Do you have to educate your customers and your customers' customers and explain to them what it actually is? We do. We've been through a lot of different ways of saying this, but data privacy is something that you can't see. It's quite intangible. It's below the surface. It's not something you can, hey, look at this. I can see my data being protected. So one of the areas that we worked on with respect to rebranding is uh, you'll see our new logo is we're the ink bomb for data. What does that mean? So the ink bomb for data means in the analog world, in the world we've all grown up in, when you want to have cash move to the cash point, you have the man with the fancy helmet and the briefcase takes the cash from the vault and goes in his armored car and takes that cash to the cash point. If someone tries to steal it, they open the bag, an ink bomb goes off and it makes that cash worthless. Yeah. Now in the digital world, so as people look to digitize and everything becomes automated, data is the new currency. It's that new cash. So what we do is we are the ink bomb for that data. In a similar way, if someone tries to steal the data, we have the ability to destroy it such that it can't be used against you. That's probably the best explanation I've ever heard about data privacy. <laughs> That's great messaging right there. Thanks. <laughs> so we were talking about trying to hire people with Estonal earlier. First, I'm very happy to see that we have gender equality in front of us in terms of co-founders because it's not always the case. And we know that especially in fintech, but not only in fintech, let's be fair, female founders are kind of rare. I think you, Sonal, you are on the Women in Fintech power list. It's a great honor to be with some great women on it. So it can be a loaded question, but do you see yourself as mentor for other women that would like to be founders? Do you see things that we can make better to actually attract more female founders in this world and in the world of fintech in particular? Yes, there's quite a lot I can answer around this. So um, coming from a technology background, I also get asked from the tech side because there's also a very, very low number of women in technology in general. We're part of the PwC Tech She Can Charter where we're also helping get younger women more interested in technology as a whole because it's required for business now. Yeah. My own children, they are very, very tech focused. My 11-year-old is trying to do her own app. So it's really encouraging to make sure that you know, technology is a big part of it. But in terms of finance, women also work now. And if you're not creating products that are suitable for women, that don't factor in these new things into mortgage payments such as childcare, Without having that representation, you're not going to get the right financial products. And in this day and age, 
everyone needs to be pulling their weight. Everyone is a part of this. It makes infinite sense to have a diverse broad range of people to be able to give all the financial products that are required. If you look at things like pensions, most people will not have a pension the way that it's going right now. So having to plan that in right now is really important. But childcare also is important at that time to be able to support yourself then. If women are not there representing themselves and coming up with financial products that are suitable for them, it's going to get completely missed. And the way that, say, just house prices, mortgages, it's not a one-income family that can run everything now. So as this joint income, it's everyone's responsibility. So how do you like financially plan to be secure in later stages? How do you plan for your children? How do you plan for all of these things? And being able to start, for me, it's really important for my children to see that they are going to have to work too. And they shouldn't be thinking that they're going to be princesses and going to be Prince Charming and life is going to be great and they're going to live in a castle. And if they do, I'm going to move in with them. But <laughs> <laughs> the realistic thing is that they're not and they are going to have to work and they are going to have to financially plan and they're going to have to have these things thought through and be responsible about it. I think the other part that Sunil's done a great job on is the gender equality doesn't relate just to the co-founders. She's done a great job of having a 50-50 male-female diversity in the entire team. Oh, fantastic. So she's done a great job of getting women developers to join the team and to be part of our leadership and to be part of the thought process of how we build our product. Something we're quite proud of. We are, yeah. So, And if it means supporting women, that one of our female developers, she's a mom, she needs to be able to look after her children in the daytime and she wants to work in the evening. I'm all for it because you can work what hours you want as long as we're open and we have the communication there. I think that's good. Do you think that the UK, the regulator, the government could do more for a company like yours to succeed and keep innovating and also more to attract key talent, whether men or women here? They can. We have quite a strong view on this is trying to get anyone to work in the financial services sector. So you have this ongoing tension between banks and financial services organizations, as well as TechFin. So your Apples, Googles, Facebooks. So where we can look to see some help is to entice people to go into the financial services sector. Because right now, if you put two offers on the table between go work for a bank and Facebook, most of the young people today are going to go work for Facebook. Maybe But, not Facebook at the moment. Oh, maybe not Facebook <laughs> at the moment. That is true. A bad example. But you need that homogeneous playing field because coming from a banking background, banks have struggled with so much regulation over the past five years. And a lot of money has been spent around that plumbing, that all dealing with the regulation, whereas the tech fin doesn't have those constraints upon them. So I think if we were able to level the playing field, that will bring more people across different aspects of the industry as opposed to everybody piling into the sexy place to work that has the foosball table and the ping pong table and free beer. Yeah, you know, I started my career in a startup and I was living in Switzerland, so I was surrounded by banks. Look, I was attracted by the foosball table. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's go back to your company for a moment. What do you see Exit going in the next, let's say, five years? The first thing we want to do is we want to help consumers to have that trust that we talked about with banks. We want people to say, I'm confident my data is being protected because at the end of the day, everything comes back to consumers. If the consumer is happy, everyone else is happy. One of the other things that we want to do is in banks, is your information security guys that are like held like the internally the villains, but really the, the heroes of the company. We want to allow them to be able to say yes, where they're having to historically say no, because we want to liberate your data. We want that to be something that if it's in this protected state, be able to clearly articulate how you can use that data. 
where the consumers have agreed for you to use their data in a particular way and enable them to be able to do what their job is. We want to be a part of the financial services ecosystem. So we want to be a big part of this enablement of data and digital uh, to help financial services be able to provide all these services that are being demanded of them. And my final thing is I want to go back to traveling business class. I hate it. I'm absolutely struggling. with. It is a big drop off when you're flying economy, when you're used to fly business class in a banking job. So this is one of the reasons I was like, when I was like leaving the corporate career, that was like a big thing that was keeping me there. I was like, I'm gonna have to travel. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, this is a great lead into my next question. Because of your unusual journey in entrepreneurship, I'm sure you've learned many lessons. Maybe also lessons you could share with other corporate people that would like to jump and have ideas besides not flying in business class. Yeah, we do have a few. I think there's the 80-20 rule and you cannot chase every lead. If you try to chase every lead, you will die because there's so much out there that is going to waste your time. So we make a conscious effort to spend 80% of our time and effort on the 20% of clients that we think are the best fit for us. It's not just a one-way street where you, every client is going to be perfect. You need to find the clients that match what you're doing and the vision you have. And again, that's something that we learned. And again, part of the Accenture program, I think that was very helpful for us. The second thing uh, from my perspective we learned was getting everyone at the table. Because what happens is if you get just the business at the table or just IT at the table, you typically will fail. You need to get a broad representation of people around the table in order to get a consensus decision made for people to use your product. So in the past, we would either just business or just IT. Now we, we're consciously being inclusive of every department, even compliance. Anyone we can get to the table, come on in. And I think don't try and do everything yourself partner, be a part of the ecosystem. If you try and build everything yourself or try and say, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to build it into my product and somebody else does it 10 times better. You're better off partnering with them. Enhance the ecosystem. Yeah. It's it's the power of partnership. It's really strong. It's a massive multiplier effect versus everyone trying to be experts in everything. So let's go to a lighter side to end this uh, podcast, a lighter side that our usual host, Sam, loves business models. I think having role models is so important. And from our perspective, one role model I have, it's one of my old bosses. It's Jose Luis Guerrero, who was the CEO of the markets business at the previous place I worked, head of AFME. And what I learned from him was that ability to manage fairly, how to manage through crisis, and to keep an even keel. And one of the things I think that is really important in a startup is keeping that even keel. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. The sun will rise tomorrow. Everything will be fine. And Sonal and I can both say we are absolutely incredibly fortunate that Jose Luis has decided to join us as a senior advisor. So we now get to benefit from all of those years of experience and all of those positive skill sets that he passed along to me are now part of our organization as well. And that is fantastic for us. In terms of role models, just to almost keep in the family, working with Peter was one of the most eye-opening things for me. I was a developer when I first started in my role. Peter was the COO for the markets business. And the first project I was working on was about downgrade triggers and all these fun things. This was the first time as a developer, I had somebody explain to me why I was doing something, how it impacted PNL, what would happen if it was wrong, what would happen if it was right, what would happen to the business. And having that, just that 
whole holistic view on I was writing the code to do something but how it impacted the business why it needed to be right why it was so important that from the ground up that it was built in a particular way to be able to think about it in terms of what you're trying to do and develop solutions with that sort of mindset really opened my eyes and that's why we went into business together because that's how I want to see businesses how is tech supporting business and how do I need to think about it to be able to look at it holistically as opposed to the small siloed bit of work that I was used to dealing with? You make me blush. <laughs> <laughs> I can testify to that. I'm looking at them right now. <laughs> Guys, first of all, thank you so much for having been here with us. I'm sure Thanks the listeners learned a lot. All the best for the future years because I think companies like yours are much needed. Thank you so thank much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time. The information contained in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of motor partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording, reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of motive partners. Motive partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided, and undertakes no obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by motive partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar, or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry the economy, motive partners or motive partners investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax or other professional advice or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.